Welcome to Back to Basics, Babies, Bodies and Behavior, a podcast run by Mel Cyril and me, Ulrike Kasselbrand. And today we have a special guest, Zoe Woodman. And uh, Zoe, would you please introduce yourself? Yes, thanks for having me, uh, Mel and Ulrike. So I am Zoe. I set up the Sling Consultancy in 2016 after completing my consultancy training with Slinger Baby. Uh, I have three children, uh, 10, 6 and 3, and I have a degree in psychology. So my outlook and kind of focus uh, around carrying is very much on the science, the neuroscience and what the evidence suggests to us around the way that I talk to parents and carers around carrying and, and what, what what it does for us uh, as humans. Um, so I set up a sling library in 2012 so and have carried, my eldest is now 10, so have lots of sort of different experiences and have used lots of different slings and carriers and um, so I run workshops uh, with people in person, I do online support and I do a lot of, uh, sort of one-to-one work um, antenatally and uh, with people with various different ages of children. Wonderful. So we, we're going to talk today um, about the neurodevelopment side of things and uh, your other interest area, the adverse childhood experiences, otherwise known as ACEs. So if we start with a general first question, um in terms of neurodevelopment what what are your thoughts on the differences between how neurodevelopment can be supported with baby wearing and in arms carrying so there's, as, as you will know Mel, there's very little direct evidence and research out there around this mm. there's a lot of people working in the neuroscience neuroendocrinology fields and they're linking things to sort of attachment on a very broad basis but there's very little that pertains to carrying whether that's using slings or in arms at all Um, but what we know from the evidence that is out there and the technology in the last five years has really exploded that area of research Um, but what, what it shows us is that responsive parenting builds that secure attachment and that secure attachment then helps the brain develop Mm. Um, because their basic needs their basic basic homeostasis needs are being met so that their body can work on the higher level things Um, so it you know if you think about it like Maslow's hierarchy of needs Mm. you know the the carrying um, whether that again in arms or or using slings it, it builds on those bottom layers so that the top ones can happen and so if we're not doing those things, those top ones don't necessarily come in at the right points or they're not developed in that in that clear, layered way. So what adverse childhood experiences do is they totally disrupt that triangle of, of brain development, essentially. And obviously the research on that is, is just huge um, in the last 10 years around showing that by having adverse childhood experiences, which essentially is 
a, a lot of the time is not having responsive parenting and not having secure attachments is that it, that damages our brains and that impacts our immune system and, and everything going forward. So it really impacts lifelong. It impacts our mental health as well as our physical health. And so there are clear links around cancer, around um, things like drug abuse, around different ways that our brain responds to a lot of external stimulus essentially and so whilst you know we can talk about it from a really basic level of being sort of nature versus nurture there there is a huge amount of interplay with that um and what the evidence shows and, and bruce perry talks around is that where there have been adverse childhood experiences the way that that impacts depends on if you have a secure attachment and that doesn't necessarily mean with your parent it might be with an aunt or a teacher or another significant person in your life but what that shows is that 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 buffers some of that stress um and again the research is a little bit sketchy on exactly that mechanism um so i kind of think about it a bit like a seesaw and you have your balance of kind of, you know, oxytocin and, and good secure attachment on one side and you have stress on the other. And everyone's tipping point on that seesaw is different depending on, on what you've experienced. And if you have a really solid base that you, you have built in those first early years, then you're less likely to tip over that with, with bits of stress. But if you have flooded with stress, then that, that's going to impact differently. And that kind of explains why everybody's reactions to adverse childhood experiences or stresses or traumas in life is, is going to be different because everybody's experience is different and we don't you know unless you're going to really drill down and go into every little detail around childhood and you know all of that I think it's, it's going to be quite difficult to for them to work out what how these mechanisms work but yeah. I just feel that nobody's really looking at this in a massively connected way um, there's lots of people working in, in the ACEs field. There's lots of people working on attachment. There's lots of people working on the neuroscience and, and, and everyone's going really narrow on their own fields. And yeah. we're not expanding out of that enough. Um, and so, you know, and I know you're the same, Mel, you know, a huge thing is trying to connect those dots a little bit more. And mm. so I felt really difficult putting that out there in an article in a mainstream, essentially magazine, um, in a way that was easy for people to understand because it can be quite complex mm. to to read and understand but to, to get it out there so that people can understand and connect these dots a bit more because I just think there's so many little bits that are being missed um around it and I'm, I know Eureka said you know uh, we were discussing about what we might talk about around the fact that you know there's a lot of talk on attachment and yet there's not necessarily the talking about carrying or baby wearing and to me it seems really odd that if you're talking about attachment to me, carrying in arms or using a sling is, is kind of important around that. You absolutely don't need to, but it's going to help you probably be a lot more responsive because of what you can do around your own self-care as well as that of your child. Yes, yeah, I agree. <laughs> but do you think, um, like, why do you think they don't include caring like thinkers and researchers on attachment and and, and uh, no, neurobiology why don't they um, bring in the caring and it's is it because it's not common in our culture is that like the reason so they don't see it it, it could well be because if you know it's not necessarily you know normal in inverted commas um to see carrying yet hugely 
uh, either that or maybe it's a given. I don't know um, that it's a given that we carry our young because they can't carry themselves around. Um, I don't know. I think it's just really when you are working in research that you just go really, really narrow um, because mm. it's easier to draw results from that. Um, Yeah, I mean, one that one that do talk about touch is Kerstin uh, Unas Moberg, like the the researcher on oxytocin. Um, she talks about it a lot and about like open windows, uh, also when like a a newborn baby, and also the mother is is very much open to this oxytocin and maybe also expecting the oxytocin just right after birth. But of course. She talks a lot about touch being so important throughout life um, um, for our well-being and health. But uh, so I guess from people more into touch, talk about touch. Uh, yeah, we all look at it through, you know, the sunglasses of our experience. So, you know, we we when I read some research, I'm I'm looking at it through the filters of my life and what I've experienced and my background. So we, you know, we'll, you'll, we'll all read the same piece of information and take different things from that because, because that's our background and that's the way, that's the, our angle that we're coming at it from. And I don't know, I just want to expand that for people a bit, I suppose, um, which, which can be difficult because the world of academia kind of they're like, well, who are you? You're, you're not, you know, You don't have a master's. You don't have a PhD. Um, and I think the, a lot of the world loses out on people that can have a massive impact because of that, because there are very specific routes that people use to get into that field. Um, and and that's a shame because that means that, that people with lived experience that might not be able to go that route don't can't get the, their ideas out there. So it's trying to then do that in a different way. And I think... Um, Some of the work that Sophie Christoffi does around how you impact change is, is really key to look at around how we network with people that have very similar uh, views to us, but that can we can expand and get that out there in, in a way that makes us feel supported because it can feel like you're going against the tide and that nobody gets you and that no one's listening. Um, and, and again, it's just threading through to those people that get it and talk about it and understand it in a way that then disseminates that information uh, more broadly. Yeah, so running a pod is one way. Absolutely. <laughs> no, trying to get out there. Yes. I mean, it's interesting because I know that Rosie Knowles, uh, Dr. Rosie Knowles, went to the uh, ACES conference in Scotland uh, last September where Dr. Nadine Burke-Harris gave us, a talk about it and there was a so much talk around sort of treatment and how we deal with people that have had it rather than looking at how we prevent it and it's like duh like surely the best thing we can do is prevent it because every pound that you spend on prevention will give you so much more back later down the line rather than trying to claw back later and there was no talk of carrying there was very little talk on on the first three years of life There was a lot of talk on um, sort of what the police were doing or what their works that they're doing in primary schools around it. But there was no real talk of um, essentially, which is what the World Health Organization talk about in their document, the Nurturing Care, is that we need to invest in the early years because that's when 
you know, we are putting those roots down and really helping support people um, to be better parents. And actually, uh, the neuroscience is starting to show us that our brains are hugely plastic. The, the most, the second most time that they're the most plastic is when we've just had a baby. Um, and both that applies to men and to women around our brain can can restructure uh, to some degree once we've had a baby, because in order to be, you know, to survive and to raise more offspring, you know, we need to be good at that. Um, so the brain, our brain will can change at that point hugely. So there's some work around the country around interventions with people that have had aces and trauma in their lives to help them to, uh, to be more responsive as parents. Um, so they do work potentially sort of antenatally and, um, a lot of intervention in those first few years to help support those people um, in, in the best way that they can. Things like if children are going through the care system, um, you know, supporting those foster carers and, and adoptive parents to, to use things because of the recognising of the bonding and the oxytocin and all of those things. But it was really interesting because, and I can't remember the exact names of the research, but there was research that I read that showed that depending on your experience as a child, your body will react differently to oxytocin um, because of what your body does or doesn't expect. Um, and so, you know, I, I think as a consultant and in a sling library setting, you can feel it when a, perhaps a parent is feeling really odd when their baby is on the sling and they're like, they, they kind of more make... Uh, excuses for oh no my baby doesn't like it and you know because they know in their head that this is the right thing to do they know this is what the baby needs but they they can't get over that barrier and often there would possibly be things that they could look back to and explain that why they feel that way and I think again it's coming up that once you become a parent you there are things that you have to unpack from your own childhood perhaps mm. That would shape how you then can go forward as a parent in the most responsive way and I think when parents are feeling uneasy about carrying even just by the process of carrying that that will help them get over that hurdle a little bit because the hormones will all start happening um, because that touch is in you know it's 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 in our DNA it's it's how we've evolved and I think so much of what I've been reading just makes total logical sense you know and we don't always need research to tell us everything um, because for some of it, it seems so obvious that we need this touch and we need this stuff. And I think the trouble is we put so many 20th century expectations on life and babies when actually if you just think about them as, as in the stone ages, you know, what would we have done back then? We wouldn't have put our babies down because they would have been dangerous. And our baby is purely trying to survive. And the best way for that to happen is by being on us, um, whether that's in arms or whether that's in a sling. Um, and I think throughout history and evolution, you know, we would have had tools to help us with that. Um, you know, a lot of uh, tribes around the world, uh, every culture has carrying history. Um, because of that we wouldn't have survived if we didn't keep moving to go to where the food is to to move our animals around to you know to do all of those things so I think sometimes it's just trying to take that step back a little bit and really think deep down how would our brains have evolved you know our brains have only evolved to the point that they're at we've been carried essentially I, uh, I have a, a question that different reactions to oxytocin do you want to uh, 
uh, tell us a little bit more about that. Was it a research article or was it? It was. It was. A, it was an article, and I'm, it's probably like Mel. You probably read so much that you're just going, "Oh, where did I read that?" Um, can't even remember where I read it now. But there, there, there was. Uh, I think it might have been something that we were talking about on a, on a message, Mel, about with. Well, there was something with Rosie and there was a conversation about oxytocin. Yeah, we can find the... Try and find it, yeah, because it was really interesting. But it, it, it was basically saying that because, based on your experience, that your body's not used to it, um, that your your wiring is, is slightly out of sync and that it might not react, your body might not react in the way that you might react if you've had responsive parenting. Um yeah, and when it comes to like, um, I, remember, I remember from my doula training, um, when it comes, to, I think it was a doula training, or maybe it was from something reading, reading something with Shestin Unas Mumbai, I don't remember. But anyway, you talk, when it comes to breastfeeding, it's if, if the oxytocin then feels too much or the closeness feels too much, uh, you could um, try to take it slowly, like the, the, how much touch you get. Yeah, and I think it's and also, because it's... No, and, and also like uh, like that the mother get massage on the feet at the same time as your breastfeed. Like you try to um, uh, you try you mother the mother at the same time, um, depending on what she needs. Yeah, um, absolutely, and I think the the neuroendocrinology is really just starting to uh dig down into into this but the brain is still hugely unknown around you know the research and then our technology has has moved at such a pace that we can now we can you know there's scans and there's lots of things that they can do that shows us these things um but and yet still there's so much we don't know about about yeah. exactly how it impacts um you know what we know is that in the first three years 80 to 85 percent of the brain is when that that laid down and developed we know that um synaptic pruning happens so if if you you know their potential the potential is there but then if it's not met then it, the brain gets rid of the bits it doesn't need because it's trying to be efficient um and so it's just building all of that i think around the research um and it is looking across the fields and i think that's what what's difficult I'm sure you found it Mel when you're looking at stuff like you're delving into such different fields to grasp and understand and I'm I, you know yeah. one research paper and there's you know 50 yeah and you're like oh I'm gonna read that one and then you read that one and then you're like oh yes and all, all that makes sense yes and now I'll read the next one you know yeah. and, and then you just kind of go, oh my god it's all so obvious why does everyone get it but it they're not they're not doing what we're doing they're not reading they're so in their fields and we just need to try and um get in, in into those fields more to do that and I think it was really interesting listening to Heinrich talk about the different conferences that he goes to to build those links with different fields so whether it is chiropractors or you know osteopaths around you know uh, primitive reflexes whether it's attachment and whether it's people like uh, Dan Siegel or you know, whether it's ACEs and it's Dr. Nadine Bukharis, you know, essentially a lot of it is saying very similar things, but they're just coming at it from a slightly different angle, I think. Um, yeah, and Daniel Siegel, he brings in very much the the investment for the parent to make in themselves. Like you say, the, the brain is very plastic when you become a parent. Um, that it's... Um, 
opportunity to you for you to work with your yourself with your own experiences like daniel siegel yeah. brings in a lot the importance of making sense of your childhood uh, especially if you've had uh, like uh, unresolved trauma or unresolved grief like you can still become a parent that will be good enough if you uh, take care of your own what do you say baggage I yeah know. absolutely and there's people like that Lisa Cherry uh, that talks about this as well. Um, there's uh, Philippa Perry. Um, I just got her book. I haven't started reading it yet, but it's uh, the book you wish your parents had read and your children will be glad that you did. You know, she's a psychotherapist. Um, and again, that's talking about, you know, the bigger picture, looking at what do we want for our children. And, and uh, it's really interesting. She did a podcast with the Scummy Mummy uh, a couple of weeks ago, which I listened to, and they're, and they're comedic. Uh, a comedic couple very interesting lots of swearing and but it is essentially she was on there talking about this and that's amazing because that's getting that kind of conversation out into the mainstream around you know you have to put those, that hard work in in those years because they, it will repay you when they're older in terms of you know allowing your child to to be to to be clingy to you to cling to you and then that elastic gets stretcher in stretcher um, rather than trying to force it too soon and then it pings back and, and then you'll find that even harder. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot around, obviously self-care is a very kind of now thing that a lot of people talk around. Um, and I think it, they're drilling down a little bit more around, it. Well, you know, that's not just going to a spa, that's a lot more around. Um, yeah, so what, what would your suggestion be for parents? Sorry, Mel, I'm asking all these questions. <laughs> it's okay. I'm like, oh, I'll chime in in a minute. <laughs> yeah, we have, we have written down our questions, so we'll get to all of them. But, yeah, so do you have any, like, suggestions for parents listening to this or for us, me and Mel as well? What should we do with that self-care for our own, like, yeah, what can you do as parents? Not going to the spa, but taking care of your your own brain or what do you what would say? And I think everyone's going to have their own different things. But um, Susie uh, Redding has a, a book on self-care and it's a, a wheel on self-care and it, there's different sections on it. And one bit might be, um, you know, sleep, which as parents we know is really hard that we might not get what we need um, to function. And another is uh, community. So, you know, it might be seeing somebody once a week or once a day you know for me um before, after i've done school drop-off i go to the church and there's a cafe church before we take the children to preschool and i see those people for 15 minutes every day and i can really feel it if i don't see that to just have those short conversations um there's another one on there around like nature there's another one about um sort of your environment so it might be things in your home that bring you joy so um, I know for me, self-care is like I can't deal with lots of stuff everywhere in cluster. So I have to tidy before I can maybe sit down and do certain things. Um, so, yeah, it's working out sort of on your wheel. Have you had everything in the bits that are important, most important to you? Um, and I think that's for me what using a sling can enable is that it can enable you to meet some of your needs as well as your child's without really having to think you're meeting your child's needs because it's kind of a implicit way of meeting those needs um 
you know, by having them close to you, you're meeting that, that real basic need for touch and their breathing stabilizers. And that's why all of those things happen because their, their system, their homeostasis system can then just take over um, rather than having to go, oh my God, I need some touch. Oh my God, I need some food. Oh my God, I, I'm cold. You know, all of those things, it's just, it's in sync. Um, you know, a sling in, in carrying can enable you to go out into nature. You can go out to the woods. You can negotiate steps. You can go into a, a smaller shop where you might not be able to fit with your buggy. Um, you know, you can just literally go out of your front door and go for a really quick little walk. Um, it might be a hot cup of tea. It might be some nice chocolate. I think for me, that changes every day, you know, mm. and I think it's just yeah. recognising what, you know, what is a small thing that I can do for myself today? And I think it's very much, you know, a thousand tiny steps. Um, I think self-care is is put out there mainly for marketing and publicity ploys. It means you've got to be separate from your child and you absolutely don't need to be to do that. Um, and I think that's the key is to work out what you can do together that brings you both joy um, that you can do whether they're asleep or um, yeah. And I just think that uh, from a practical point of view, slings and carrying can enable you to do that in a much easier way. Um, I, w- I was also thinking of something else. Sorry, Mel, I'm just going to say this and then I'm going to leave. <laughs> I'm going to be quiet. <laughs> I'm going to mute myself. No, but I'm, I'm going, I'm reading a book by the psychiatrist Daniel, Daniel Siegel right now, and he's written it with someone else as well. And I can't remember the name of her, but it's called parenting from the inside out. And there you go through, like, um, throughout the book, they give a lot of different examples um, from how, from when, like, your own reactions, like, okay, I got mad at my son because he didn't um, wash his hands. It can be anything when he was dirty and came in from school, whatever. And then I had a strong, uh, I got angry, you know, and then the... um, Daniel Siegel and his co-author want us to um, reflect on okay the feeling the anger where did it come from yeah absolutely because how we feel about something says more about us than anything else you know so So when we get annoyed at stuff we have to look within ourselves and say okay that's an interesting feeling why do I wonder why I feel like that Um, yeah so some of it will be some of it will be that we won't remember um, that we have these these feelings but we don't know we don't know why um and and that's absolutely something that philippa perry talks around that um that that your body has memory even if you don't around your experiences um and it's not to say it's trauma as in you know it's sometimes it's physical but it can be sort of an emotional trauma point of view where it's oh stop crying don't be so silly you know, you're dismissing somebody's feelings. So whilst on the face of it, that doesn't appear to be, you know, abuse. What that is, is you're not responding to their needs in the way that makes sense for them. And that's hard because, again, that's what I'm saying. You know, when you become a parent, it brings up so much stuff for you. But the first step is awareness. So as soon as you realise you're doing that, to go, oh, step back and go, well, that's interesting. Yeah, and 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 that applies chapters you go through like deeper and deeper into this yeah. to try to like make sense of your own childhood experience to be to be able to be more present it's about being present for your child and not being caught up in your own uh history kind of thing uh, yeah yeah and it's, it's that's really also a part of the self-care i think that could be mentioned even more i'm thinking in society like how we parents work 
Yeah, and you don't have to go to a therapist or it doesn't have to be a really tough situation. I'm thinking all of us could have a use of, of um, reflecting uh, on, on that. Or what do you see? Is that a, or you, you answered my question that yes, you also see that's a part of, part of it. Yes. Yeah, and I think, I think that just applies to though how you view in your general outlook in, in the whole world, you know, um, mm-hmm. as we go through any experience that involves another person, whether that's our child or whether it's other people, um, you know, whether you go, oh, I'm really annoyed at this, you know, that person really annoyed me, you know, I'm really good at now going, well, that, that really annoyed me, not they really annoyed me. And trying to do that. So with my kids, we do a lot of, well, you have a choice, you control how you feel do you you know we talk about dragons or are you red dragon or are you a green dragon or are you you know talking about them and talking about their emotions and giving them labels and that's important to do because you know so but, often yeah. we divide their feelings and say well their feelings don't matter and and that then leads to them you know them not having necessarily the most secure attachment because they don't know that you are there for them in that way and uh, it, yeah it's not easy yeah and I think like there's a connection to why physical touch can be then feeling hard like but if you can reflect on your emotion that evokes when you care and you feel it's difficult for you you could it could be a way to process that I guess I don't know I'm just guessing here yeah and I think touch is really important I was chatting to somebody and they said you know if you've got something difficult to say to somebody hold their hand because actually you'll find it a lot harder to be horrible you know you'd you'd actually feel better at communicating something that's perhaps more useful for moving that forward rather than um yeah I don't know why that is presumably something to do with the oxytocin and the way that our bodies respond um yeah I think the first point is just awareness firstly and then and then yeah working out what bits you need in that circle of self-care and then working out um what do you need to process and what might be the best way for you? Because that's going to be different for everybody. So um, I wanted to go back to what you were talking about, um, the parents plasticity of the brain uh, once the baby is born and how fascinating that is. And um, it, it made me think about, uh, what Henrik was saying about his pregnancy dialogues uh, program that he runs. Yeah. And I, I think I asked in the podcast about um, whether they had any information on how this was also not just helping the babies with becoming hopefully securely attached to the parents, um, but whether or not they'd seen any, uh, changes in attachment of of the mother to the child uh, so yeah that that's something that interests me because obviously attachment is has plasticity to it as well doesn't it so I, w- I wondered what your thoughts on that were yeah I think uh, obviously you're going to have different attachments th- throughout your life um, mm. you know as an adult we have attachments to other people um, mm-hmm we can build those attachments and some of the research have some really interesting research on um, art therapy and uh, with adults that had had trauma um, showing that 
that helped them and actually what it was doing is it was the it was the attachment to the teacher because it was it was a you know close contact it was supporting them on something that perhaps wasn't directly related to what they were trying to deal with and and that showed uh, a massive improvement in turn it showed differences in their brain connections actually Um, so there is there is all these little pockets of research happening Um, it's just trying to draw them together and link it all um, because again, that was something that was totally unrelated to carrying, totally unrelated to um, sort of attachment per se. And and mm. sometimes you'll read something, and the researchers haven't quite hit the nail on the head, and you'll read it and go, "But that's because of this." Yeah. yeah. But that's not on their radar at yeah, all. Exactly. Um, I emailed uh, somebody that had recently had a research paper uh, published at oh. um, University of Cambridge, and sent her. Some links and one of them was one of the ones that I referenced in my article in Juno. She was like, Oh, that's really interesting. That article, that that research, um, I'll have a look at that, you know. And they hadn't, they hadn't looked at that research, um, because it's yeah. kind of not directly related. And unless you're out there looking at everything, it's going to be really difficult to, to pick and choose. I mean, that was the that was the article, um, let me find the link, it was. Smith et al. Uh, in 19, uh, 2016, talking about is there a link between childhood adversity, attachment style, and Scotland's excess mortality rate? Um, and they propose a model within that research that would need further testing, but that the, the attachment style kind of modulated the impact of of the uh, the adversity. Mm. Um, so again, there's that's a, a public reference one. You can look at that online. Um, but some of the research you can't look at because it's it's not open access. And that's then really difficult if, like me, you're not in the world of academia to then read those things. Um, so, yeah, I think there was, it was uh, Shaw and Shaw in 2010. It was clinical social work and regulation theory, implications of neurobiological models of attachment. So, again, that was looking at... Um, that was looking in adult social work. Um, yeah, so I don't know. It's, there's so much out there right now, and it's just trying to find the time to sit down and read it all and look at it and try and make those connections because I don't think there are very many people looking at it from the point of view that we are. Um, mm. You know, if, to me, if you're at a conference talking about attachment, you need. How can you not be talking about carrying and not be talking about attachment? Yeah. Um, I think I think this highlights the importance of um, us all trying to uh, communicate with each other and open these lines of communication, and maybe also not feeling like you can't reach out to these people as well don't you think absolutely I always go with the you know who don't ask you don't get kind of view yeah. well you know especially in this day and age where it is really easy to access this stuff you know when I was at university we had to order papers in they weren't online we literally had to we, we could read the abstract and the title and we'd have to order it and it would take a few days and we'd get it and then we go oh that wasn't quite doing what I thought it was you know now a lot of the time we can look online and even if it's not open access you can sometimes email the author and they'll email it to you um Mm. because often they're quite keen on sharing their work um but you know we we have so much more accessibility now to reach those people that we wouldn't have had to you know and we can find out when conferences are and we you know a lot of the time they are public you know you can go in and buy a ticket if you Mm. depending on how much they cost i was just reading about one um 
in June in Bristol, which uh, it was called, let me find it, Human Baby, Human Being Conference. Uh, contributions from the emerging field of pre and perinatal psychology. Um, you know, and it, so it says a landmark conference for professionals interested in long-term effects of prenatal and birth experiences. And there was a lot of talk there on uh, the early experiences and um, some really interesting people talking about. Um, that's only in June and it was 200 quid a ticket. So <laughs> I might not be going to that. It's not particularly, you know, I, I do earn money doing what I do. Um, it's certainly not as much as I would like it to be. Um, and so I think that can be hard sometimes being able to go to all these events and do all the things that you would love to do. There was an amazing one in London with, with Dan Siegel here um, on resilience and, and uh, attachment in London. You know, it was just prohibitively expensive if you're not uh, in that field. And it, as much of it is, you know, it's amazing and I would love to do more of it. It is just how, how, how do I justify that, you know? Hmm. Maybe we should think about um, ways in which we could get funded places to these things, uh, you know, raise funds within the community maybe to send people yeah. to different things and then report back or something. But it's, it's, funny that you should bring that up because as you both know um i'm going to be speaking at my local university's children and childhoods conference which is like a major kind of step for me in terms of going outside of this industry absolutely it's amazing and bringing my work and stuff to a whole new different audience and like you, you, I was like, I, I saw this. This was going on. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's just you know send in an abstract for it, um, and hopefully it will happen. And then it got me thinking, yeah, why aren't why aren't we doing this within our community? And I know even like with this, it is still restrictive in some ways because um, a lot of these sorts of conferences um, not only expect you to fully fund you know all of your expenses and everything but also buy a ticket to the conference for the privilege of speaking um so yeah it can it can be a bit prohib prohibitive in that respect but i think if we want to make our work known uh within various academic fields uh this is something maybe we should be thinking more about you know maybe thinking is there one event even if it's just one in a year that I can reach out to and you know speak out or something and if there are lots of us doing this just this one event here there and everywhere just think about the domino effects that we could have in terms of yeah getting all of this information out there and planting some seeds mm -hmm. oh, absolutely and I think it's just asking and 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 looking for me people to make those connections with so I saw something on on Facebook around the perinatal mental health team locally and mm -hmm. so I emailed them and said I'd love to come and talk to you about about carrying you know do you talk to your your clients about about carrying in slings mm -hmm. most of them don't know anything about slings the the people that are supporting these people you know mm -hmm. and it's trying to say look this is a massive massive easy intervention you know if you're looking at the cost of a of a 
of, of a sling, um, you know, in terms of as an intervention, it is low compared to most interventions out there. You know, most interventions you're looking at thousands, and slings most definitely are not that. And I think it's interesting in that in Scotland, you know, the baby box has a stretchy wrap in it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it is showing that there are starting to be signs of recognition that. Mm. this can absolutely help support parents um i think there's a perhaps some reticence around oh but you have to be a type of person to carry your child you know oh well i don't want to suggest that because they're not those type of people um and that's where i try to come in from more of that science point of view and just say look the science shows us that if you do these things as parents it is more likely that your child is going to grow up this way you know you're building their brain for them to realize that you don't have to be a certain type of parent to carry your child um you just have to be someone that's willing to invest in your child that uh, you want them to grow up to be a happy solid rounded individual essentially and isn't that most of us um to just to really strip it back because I think there were a lot of associations with carrying and baby wearing. And, and I think that's where I'm trying to not use the term baby wearing male, because I think it, it has a bigger association with a certain type of parent than when you talk about carrying. Um, I don't know if that's just a perception in the last say 10 years around the, the terminology that's used within mm. the mainstream media maybe um that it's portrayed in a very specific way Um, yeah I really think that we do need to somehow come up with a new term for it to describe the act of it though um yeah because seriously so much gets lost when using an umbrella term I think yeah no I absolutely agree I think you're right in that um (laughs) you know they are all very different so holding you know, carrying in arms, using a, a sling or carrier, or using a carrying aid. You know, they all do slightly different things. Um, I think it's really difficult because we are just trying to get into certain fields. And then within our own field, we're trying to drill down and dig deeper around, you know, that type of thing. But for most people, if, when we step out of our bubble, they would understand perhaps the term baby wearing. Yeah. Um, but my concern is that it comes with a certain stereotype of a certain type of parent. I mean, I wrote a blog post on yeah. parents for all because... I think maybe it used to, but I think especially in the sort of past five years or so, it's become so incredibly mainstream that, I don't know, I feel like a lot of the stigma attached to it has been falling away. But I think it depends because I think we're very much in little pockets depending on where we yeah. live and the people that we, you know, and that we have that echo chamber. Um, you know, when you step out of that and you go to a different area and perhaps people mm. aren't used to using slings and, and communities within communities. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You just go down, um, not even 10 miles down the road here and, and um, mm. it, it's very, very different. We, yeah. You know, and I think it's, it's so really like hard. Addressing the actual stigma attached to it, though, maybe is what needs to happen. But then again, there's another subset of people who don't like the term baby wearing because they feel like they are not wearing their baby. And yeah, I think it's it's such a complex issue, isn't it? Yeah. It is. I think it's trying to just focus on what's the big aim. You know, what is the aim? is the term really that important or is it the bigger message that we're trying to, you know as a field to get out there um 
you know, we can get into the nitty gritty of the terminology and stuff, but I think the, for me, the overarching message is around what it enables you in terms of and what happens with the, you know, the neuroscience and the brain development side of it, um, yeah. rather than getting too nitty gritty yeah. about the terminology. And I think, I think that's my issue with the overarching um, umbrella term is that it really, really, really pulls away from the arms carrying. I mean, you see everywhere people saying oh this this is the first time I carried my baby and it's like no no that isn't the first time you carried your baby or you know and things to do with that and yeah I don't know it's just like I say a very complex issue and needs exploring it is and I think from you know from reading your book there are are obvious differences around in arms carrying and around around baby wearing you know and it I know it's difficult within our field because not everyone's as receptive to your ideas around that, um, around those differences. I mean, I think we're way off knowing the differences between in arms carrying and, for example, baby wearing around how that impacts attachment. Um, mm, mm, think, attachment, yeah, yeah. To me, there are probably very subtle differences. Um, but if we're looking at a broad category of, you know, society, we're just looking at trying to get people to actually have some semblance of a secure attachment with their child. Mm. You can then break that down and, and, and grade those levels of attachment really. In, in yeah, I'm, I'm thinking and, and that's the, the action that it is like in terms of the physical developmental process and stuff rather than the kind of, uh, you know, attachment differences or similarities or whatever I think it's for me it's it's more of the massive massive differences in you know between baby wearing and active carrying in terms of the physical side of things for me I think absolutely and I would say possibly you know it has a bigger impact on the parent um in that respect because of what you're needing to change in your physiology to carry that load in a different way um and obviously it's at very different stages because actually in terms of what a child is able to do in, uh, in terms of active in arms carrying, you know, a newborn is very different from when they're mm-hmm. older. So in terms of, yeah. um, for me, absolutely. It really made sense of, well, they don't really get good at walking because they're not ready because their other physical development isn't ready yeah. yet to walk because Maybe their awareness is at a different point. birth, doesn't it really? Yeah. If you think about it, it just evolves and progresses. Absolutely. And it is, it's that layering again, isn't it? It's that layering of, of mm. development. And I think it was really interesting um, recently hearing Libby talk around the primitive reflexes and what happens if they don't integrate. Mm. And it really got me thinking around, well, how does carrying, does carrying help some of those things integrate more if they haven't because of a certain birth process or, um, you know, because you were saying that if you give birth by a cesarean or if you are not breastfeeding, that that impacts uh, the ability of those primitive reflexes to be integrated because some mm. of them won't have been activated because mm-hmm. they're there in order to help those processes. Yeah. So if those processes aren't happening, they don't, That you know. Um, but interestingly, obviously, what also happens if, uh, and again, this is another study I'd read about oxytocin, was that oxytocin measured uh, two weeks post birth was different if you had a cesarean uh, it was lower and it was also lower uh, if you are not breastfeeding so if you're not breastfeeding and you also had a cesarean birth then in terms of supporting that oxytocin then carrying can be hugely powerful from that respect mm. because you're not getting it from those other ways and it's yeah. I mean, it's a lot of that looking at a really biological process around 
around the neurobiology literally around mm. why are these things not happening and what is the impact that it has on those things um so yeah that's that's quite interesting yeah. too, because that kind of links into those primitive reflexes and yeah in terms of if they're on your body then how does that work and, and again yeah. that's not that's, my field to go down that you bring that up um because i can't think of the job title um a something therapist i can't think of what it is but occupational uh, therapist yes there you go thank you OT, occupational, yeah. yeah occupational therapist um one of my trainees is one and um we've had discussions about this and one of my questions to her was um about you know what what were her thoughts about the possibility of um you know the the active carrying being a potential intervention um you know to to help with reflexes integrating before mm-hmm. there, there's an issue with it mm-hmm. kind of thing, if that makes sense um and she was saying that within her work it's it's kind of too late by that stage uh the the ages of the children that she works with but she thought that yeah that that might be a possibility um and i mean absolutely you can see that there's you can see it you know you probably see it in your children i see it in my children the difference in their physical abilities um based on their experiences that they've had and uh I can't be that scientific around it because I can't pinpoint how often Jude was carried in a sling yeah. bag in arms carrying and stuff. Yeah. But he is so physically able. And I, I think a mm. lot of people that use slings uh, or carry in arms, you know, will say that they can, there is a very clear physical difference with their children, perhaps and children that are lied flat in containers um, mm. because they're just not using their bodies in that way. So yeah, I mean, there's definitely some, clear opportunities around research on that around um, because of my understanding sort of the primitive reflexes thing is that it's a bit chicken and egg it's sort of like well they don't integrate so we need to help them integrate to do this or is it the other way and uh, because if we don't help them integrate then a lot of the subsequent issues can happen which again can be cognitive um and have a neuro neurobiological basis um because the brain uh, it's like it gets stuck at the brainstem and it can't move through the the le- different uh, levels to go into the cortex but is it is it because of that that it doesn't do that or is it that, mm. because of that? And, and that's not from what i've read so far is is not hugely clear um yes. <clears throat> interesting there's somebody uh, at our local school mum who is doing uh, some further research on social abilities but also around their developmental uh, how well developed they are and she has done some work with the children at school and is writing a paper about that which I will clearly have to yeah. share with you but yes. I then sent her some links around the primitive reflexes and, and a book and she's like oh that's really interesting because that really links in with what I'm doing mm. <laughs> like, <laughs> See, there's people in these fields really doing this research and they're yeah. not even yeah. looking at what is already you know there is so much out there and it's yeah just, yeah I don't know. We have such an amazing ability in this day and age to connect with people. I mean, um, just mine and Aurika's story is just, you know, incredible in and of itself and how, you know, we're able to use technology to stay in contact with people. And, you know, the technology adds 
so many different layers to the communication, doesn't it? So like, for example, with recording this podcast and all the other ones that we do um, for you listeners, the way that we do it is um, via video call. Um, and sorry, Ulrika, you've waved your hand. <laughs> sorry. Gonna... Yeah, no, it's just that I have a question after, but you, you oh, okay. yeah, yeah. Okay, sorry. sorry. Yeah. I'll, I'll yeah, so we're 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 really lucky with technology, and and the way we record these podcasts is via video call, and being able to see each other's faces and expressions, and you know, communicate in that respect, uh, for me especially, is so much easier, and so much more information gets across, and yeah, it's just. We we have so many luxuries, so we should be making the use of them to, um, yeah, make these connections and spread Absolutely. them. Absolutely, and some of these conferences, you know, and I know the ACES conference in, in Scotland last year, they, they have released the videos onto mm. YouTube uh, of, of those talks. And, and you know, it, we should be able to do live streaming. We should be able to do those things mm. in mm. and have those conversations. And, you know, some stuff doesn't always come over very easy on video I certainly mm. found you know I can do some consults via video but some you, you do need in person yeah, you need three support, depending on what somebody's needs are and yeah. obviously everybody does learn and and work slightly differently but like you say I think it's really helpful to see people's faces rather than just trying to do it over a phone call mm. um, but the, the, we have so much technology at our hands that we can we can try and find this research and look at it and, and analyze it and yeah, it's just amazing how much is out there and you just get mm. sucked into a rabbit hole of, <laughs> yeah. and then you're just like you're four hours later and your brain's like frazzled going, put it, that link to that. And, that. Yeah. and then you try and it, put it in words and you mm. can't. <laughs> but you're like in your like, brain, you're like, but I can see the links. Yeah, I tend to have all of these like open tabs on the desktop. Yeah. And, um, I'm really bad with using the program Zotero um, to add the the papers into and I really need to do it because what happens is I have all of these tabs and then somehow the whole thing gets shut down and the tabs aren't saved and I'm like no I've lost that whole train of thought what you'd be like I'll never find that one piece of research again you know yeah it's it's really difficult I found it really difficult writing the article for Juno because there's so much research and I was writing it and putting all my all my research in and then I was like oh but this is from mainstream magazine it doesn't need to have every single little thing you can just say research says you know you don't need to then put 20 citations of who said what um I do have the article written with all of that in place because that's my you know that's my background that's what I did my degree papers but you know sometimes you don't always need to cite absolutely everything unless you're really physically quoting bits and I think that's you know, it is hard because we kind of want to reference stuff back. But, um, you know, it's it's doing it in a way that is understandable. It's knowing your audience. Um, so if we are talking to professionals, then we, we, we do have that research to back it up. But, you know, I went to the parental mental health team and talked to them. And my article actually was a really useful thing to leave them to read to explain why it's so, it can be so powerful because of what it can do. Because I think even in those people in that field don't know that stuff. Um, and so my aim with the article was to make it a little bit more mainstream about connecting those dots and, and to put, I suppose to put it out there to go, look, this is links like, okay, there's not the direct research, but sometimes we have to throw ourselves on a bit of a knife edge and go, 
and really commit to what we think even if it's not like you know it's not immediately obvious to say look these these things are, are connected um my gut feeling is they're connected and this is why because it all just makes sense and to put that out there in a way that is mainstream but that is that does say the science that shows it that is in a way that people can understand but that can be used as a tool to discuss this with professionals to send it to people to send it to people like the the person at the Cambridge you know university to say look you know okay I, I'm not working in that field of academia currently but but this is what my thoughts are and like you say to make those connections because that that is is, is quite hard but I I found it really useful writing it. It was a really hard process to write, so I can't even imagine what writing a book is like. Um, <laughs> let alone two. Um, but yeah, it takes a lot out of you because you, you you write and you read and you read loads and you read more and then you put it all down and then you have to halve it because it's so complicated and so long that people won't understand. And it, mm-hmm. I think it is trying to target your audience and trying to talk to them about what matters. So, you know, the way that I have these conversations with parents is very different than if I'm having a conversation yeah. with a psychologist um, because it is targeting it to what information do I want them to understand or take from this. Mm-hmm.